0: I been talking about love, as we see it here in First John chapter three, the last couple of weeks, you know, the test of true love, as I thought about how our society judges whether someone loves someone or not. you know, our society says, if a man loves a woman, he expresses it by buying a costly diamond, right? You've seen the diamond commercials, right? And they would suggest that if you really love someone, gentlemen, you buy them a really expensive diamond. True love equals diamonds. It seems to be one of those tests of true love that our society has created. For many, it's the definition of love. When they start talking about marriage, how much a guy spends on a diamond... Some think you can define a person's love by looking at how they invest their time, how they spend their money, how they invest their energy and their efforts. I read this week the story of a man who has eaten 23,000 Big Macs in 36 years. I did the math. That's like 1.75 Big Macs a day. I'm jealous. Not really. He, he, um, He saved every receipt. And then he wrote a book. And I guess he's still eating Big Macs. He, he said that the only, the only day that he didn't eat a Big Mac was the day uh, of his mother's funeral out of respect for her wishes. Evidently, she didn't want him to eat Big Macs. So his book documents his journey through Big Macdom, right? And we would say that guy loves Big Macs and he can prove it. I saw a picture of him. He looks pretty trim, So he must be working hard to uh, stay in shape. But we would say he loves Big Macs. That's how the world sometimes defines love. We look at external things like that, right? And there is a way to judge our love with some external measures. And what we've been seeing in 1 John is a biblical definition of love. In the passage that we're looking at today, John takes us Deeper into this truth that he's already touched on earlier, let's go together to 1 John chapter 3. He takes us deeper today as we look at the the following passage, beginning in verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3, where John points to the fact that followers of Christ are to love one another. Followers of Christ are to love the brethren. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and and John's going to take us deep into love here this morning and helping us understand what true love is, not by some worldly standard, but by God's standard. Let's look at it together. First John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And verse 16 says, By this we know love, that He, and that is Jesus Christ, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now what's important for followers of Christ to know is not the world's definition of love, not the world's standard of judging whether someone loves someone or not. But what it's important for us as a church to know and as God's children to know is what God says about love, how God defines love. But why is it critical? You might think, why why spend so much time talking about love? Why does John do it here? Why does he go into such detail about what love is and what love isn't? Why is this so critical? Well, because God's church is built on love. God's church is is built on love. It grows on whether or not we love like God says we're to love or not. Because we will not be the church that pleases God and glorifies God if we don't love with God's definition. And so it is critical that we stop and take a look and, and say to ourselves, how does God define love? How does God's Word define love? That's why we've gone out of our way over several years now to emphasize the importance and just this little phrase to keep in our minds, loving God, loving people. That is why we exist. Love God with everything that you have and love people. That's why we exist as a church, to love God and then to love people toward God. And so we try to remind you of that, try to remind ourselves of that, and keep that before our eyes so that we'll have it before, the, before us as a church, as we, as we live together and we work together and we strive together as a church to be the church that glorifies God, and we, and we aim to be believers that glorify God. Remembering this truth. Now, why, why are we to love? How does God define love? Well, we've already touched on this topic of love in earlier studies. What have we learned so far? We've learned that believers are given by God the capacity to love. I challenged you last week that we ought to be very careful about saying, I can never love that way. I can never love so-and-so. Because God, if you're a child of God, God has given you the capacity to love. He gives you His Holy Spirit, and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit brings the fruit of the Spirit, which we are to live out. Now you might say, I won't love, but I would caution you against saying that too, alright? We ought not to say, I can't. We ought not say, I won't. We ought to say, God help me to love, right? God help me to love the way you define love. So we've learned that the believers are given by God the capacity to love. We've also learned that believers are commanded to love. It's not a suggestion. It's a command again and again in God's Word. We're taught to love. We're expected to love. It's... It ought to be obvious that, that love, love is a defining characteristic of believers. It ought to be obvious in the way that we live. Love ought to define us. And we're giving, given great examples in God's Word of what real love is. And that's why John says in verse 11, which we read a moment ago, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. You've heard it from the beginning. We can go back to God's Word again and again. We can go back to the Old Testament and see again and again. This is the pattern of those who who are believers that they would love one another. God's Word sets the standard for us and reminds us again and again. And what we find in the passage that we just read is that God's definition of love is this. We're going to talk about God's definition of love today. We have the capacity to love. We're commanded to love. We're reminded to love. We're taught to love in God's Word. We're given great examples. And we're given the definition of love. I want you to know what the definition of love is today. And I want you to remember this if you forget everything else. So you might just take and write, if you like to write in your Bible right beside this section of verses in 1 John chapter 3, just write this. Real love equals sacrifice of self. Real love equals sacrifice of self. That is how God defines love. You look at this passage with me this morning, we're going to see that this is how God defines love. Real love equals sacrifice of self. Forget everything else today, remember that. Sacrifice of self. Now let's look at how this passage makes that clear. First, we can see in the the ultimate example of self-centeredness and the lack of love in the example of the life of Cain. Right? Verse 12. Look at it again. We should not be like Cain. This is what love is not. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. John points to Cain's murder of his brother, Abel, as the opposite of love. And we look at that and say, yep, that's not love. Here's what love is not. It is not self-centered. Love is not self-centered. And we know this because John points to the reason for Cain's murder of his brother. Was it because Abel had committed some grievous wrong toward Cain? Was it? We don't see that, do we? Was the murder of Abel an act of self-defense? Well, it isn't because the Bible calls it a murder. It was neither... A return for some wrong, some grievous wrong done to Cain. It was neither self defense nor return for some wrong. Cain murdered his brother because his get this, Cain murdered his brother because his own deeds were evil, not his brother's deeds. Cain didn't murder Abel because Abel's deeds were evil. Cain murdered Abel because Cain's deeds were evil. Abel's deeds were righteous before God, which means that Cain acted out of jealousy toward his brother. Cain acted out of hate for his brother. Now John reminds us here too that we should not be surprised by this because God's Word makes it clear that the sins of hate and murder are the result of following after the originator of sin and hate and murder. If we were to go back, you can stay here, but if we were to go back to John chapter 8, the gospel of John chapter 8 and verse 44, listen to what John says there. You are of the of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, speaking of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And John reminds us in first John chapter three, as we look at verse thirteen, that we ought not be surprised when we find that the world hates us as followers of Christ. John says it in first John chapter three, verse thirteen Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Coming right from talking about Cain and why Cain murdered his brother, he stops and says, And don't be surprised that the world hates you. Now, why does the world hate us? Well, the world hates us for the same reason Cain hated Abel. Cain had deeds that were sinful and wrong, right? And Abel's deeds were righteous in the sight of God. And the world hates righteousness for the same reason that Cain hated Abel. Cain hated his brother because the righteous deeds of Abel exposed and magnified his own sinfulness. And the world hates followers of Christ because their own righteousness exposes and magnifies their own sinfulness. Cain could only see himself. Cain was acting out of selfishness and jealousy. We need to stop and remember this, but not only is murder an act of hatred and selfishness, so is a lack of love. A lack of love is selfishness. A lack of love is hatred. John drives his point deeper into our lives with his statement in the middle of verse 14. Look at verse 14, beginning right in the middle of verse 14. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother, says verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Remember this that whoever hates is living in death. Whoever hates, by, by God's standard, is a murderer. Now, the one who continually and unrepentantly hates is just as much a sinner as the one who murders. But love is not self centered. Love is not self-centered. We see what love is not by what John says it is not. Love is the sacrifice of self. John makes that very clear by pointing to the ultimate example of sacrifice of self. Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of sacrifice of self. Look at verse 16. By this, we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see the ultimate example of sacrifice of self in Jesus Christ? We ought to. True love is sacrifice of self. Jesus willingly gave himself for those who will confess their sin and trust in him. Jesus sacrificed self. Jesus says it in John chapter 10, in the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 15 I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, verse 15, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, the table is set before us and we'll come to worship together at the Lord's Supper in a few moments. And the Lord's Supper is intended to be a vivid reminder that Jesus Christ sacrificed self for our sake. We ought never forget, we come back regularly to remind ourselves that Jesus sacrificed self for us. And of course, the ultimate example of the sacrifice of self is the laying down of one's own life for another, right? And we would say, well, that's the ultimate example. That's real love. That's laying down your life for another person. But I want you to Realize that we shouldn't stop there. We shouldn't think that that's all that it is. Real love isn't defined only by just laying down your life for another. John's instruction here in 1 John chapter 3 clarifies for us that love is more than only laying down your life for someone else. The sacrifice of self is not only giving up your life for another. It certainly can be that, but it's also this. Look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? See, real love is not only laying down your life or giving up your life for another, but it's also laying aside your life, laying aside yourself for another. Now That's why we say that real love is defined as the sacrifice of self. We're not talking about necessarily giving up your life. That may be required of us at some point in our life, but likely not. So what does God's Word tell us? We're to set aside self. We're to lay aside self and put others ahead of ourselves. John R. Stott says about this passage that it seems to imply not so much the laying down as the laying aside of something like clothes. And as John writes here in 1 John, Real love means that you love by living for others. Real love means that you love by sacrificing self. Real love is not turning away from a brother or sister in need. Real love is not turning away from your brothers and sisters in Christ when they have a need. Real love is turning to them and laying aside self, in laying aside jealousy, in laying aside me first, right? And John says that real love is not expressed in words as much as it is expressed in actions. Look at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And we've heard it, and we've said it, right? And we know it to be true that that what actions speak louder than. Words, right? That's what John is saying here. Your actions toward your brothers and sisters in Christ speak far louder than your words. And note that there's a a wonderful benefit of seeing this love for our brothers and sisters in Christ in our own lives. As we examine our own hearts, as we examine our lives, we've been talking in our evening study times about testing our spiritual health. As we test our spiritual health, we've got to be able to see the fruit of love for others. And if you see the fruit of love for others, the fruit of laying aside self for others, there's this wonderful benefit that we see here in God's Word that, that gives us this wonderful benefit of assurance of our own salvation Note that there's this wonderful benefit of seeing this love in our own lives. It's this benefit of the assurance of our salvation. Just as we noted in verse 17 a moment ago when John says that the absence of love for the brethren shows an absence of the love of God in you. The absence of love for one another is an indicator that there's an absence of the love of God in you. Our love for the brethren also assures us of our salvation. Look at verse 14, just the first half. Verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. God's Word comes before us to challenge us once again to say, look, you want to, you want to know whether you're really a, a follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ. Do you love other believers? Do you sacrifice self? Do you put others first. The sacrifice of self, putting others' needs ahead of our own, is evidence of the Father's love at work in us. It is evidence of the Father's love at work in us. It is evidence that we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, making us something that we would not be without the Holy Spirit. It is evidence and assurance of our salvation. Real love is following the example of Christ who laid down His life for the sheep. Real love is the sacrifice of self. Mark it down. Live it. Obey God's commands and live by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Real love is the sacrifice of self. Bow your heads with me, would you please? I'm going to ask our men who will be serving at the Lord's Supper to come and join me at the front and take a seat. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, we bow before You, and I pray that it would be true as we bow our heads that we would also be yielded before You in spirit that our hearts and minds and lives would be yielded before You as You do Your work in us through the power of Your Word. Lord, take Your Word and take it deep, deep in us, that we might take it very seriously and allow it to challenge our hearts and minds in this area of love. Lord, help us to love like Christ has loved. Help us to be obedient in this way. Help us to show the love of Christ to one another and may it spill out this, out of this fellowship of believers, out of this church, this body of believers called the church. Help it, Lord, to spill out from among us and into this world that needs the love of Christ shown to them. But Lord, may we evidence the love of Christ in this fellowship of believers and in our individual lives as followers of Christ that, we need Your help, Lord. We yield before You. I pray that it would be true that we would yield before You and Your Holy Spirit and Your Word as You do Your work in and through us who have yielded before You and trusted in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.